Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always is Fred. I'm just really good at my job. Sarcasm. Moreland, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. That was actually a reference to the report about Adam Page, uh, which I guess we'll get into. I'm planning on doing like some non-wrestling stuff on this show, and then like, you know, because there's no collision to talk about, so it's just really uh, dynamite. Because Oh, you don't want to talk about Mac McClung? Look, we can talk about the dunk contest and how the the scoring was pretty awful this year. I mean, if you want to, uh, I, I got big. I watch the dunk contest every year because uh, I love it, and even when it's not good, I enjoy it. Uh, and I thought this year's was pretty solid, but um, I do think that the judging was really wacky this year. I mean, nearly ruined it, you know, because Jalen Brown should not have advanced to the finals. What they need to do is they need to get people who are stars back in the dunk contest they need to make the dunk contest good again but the problem is you really can't be creative anymore because almost everything's been done it's... i mean mac mcclung did the double clutch uh you know uh reverse dunk and uh that was one of the most creative dunks i've ever seen just in terms yeah. of athleticism without going to props we need to stop props is the real you know real solution mm-hmm yeah, unless it's Shaq. Shaq's a fun prop. Yeah, you can dunk. Like, people people don't count as props. You can dunk I, I won't That's ever cool. get sick of seeing a NBA player try to jump over a seven-foot-tall man. Exactly. That rules. It does rule. <laughs> I, I will never look that, Like, people I do not count as props. Now, like, you know, the drone dunk from a couple years ago or Blake Griffin jumping over vaguely the hood of a car and winning a contest he should not have won i could do a whole like thing on the dunk contest i i could like you know you give me a couple weeks when i'm not super busy and i could like give you full reviews on the entire history of the dunk contest mm-hmm. yeah i got yeah. takes look the dunk contest used to be good and now it's not the only, last good dunk contest was zach levine versus aaron gordon and i will forever contend the right man won zach levine was better but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about some wrestling. And you alluded to it earlier about Hangman Page being good at his job. We have some different reporting here. And I think some of that has to just do with who the people are talking to and if they're being kayfabed or not. Because Hangman Page appeared to injure his ankle coming out of a muscle buster at the end of the six-man tag match on Dynamite on Wednesday night. 
And Dave Meltzer said that they feared it was a broken ankle. Well, according to Fightful, Dave was being worked. And yep. uh, they said that, hey, the quote was, Hangman's just really good at his job and that he is just fine. It was a work. You could see something was a little off because Hangman was like yelling at somebody when the camera was on him, like, don't film me. Yeah. And that kind of says, hey, maybe it is a work. Maybe it's not real. Like, makes sense. Yep, I, I could definitely see this being a uh, a work, uh, but you know, time will tell. We're we're recording this Thursday morning at around eleven a.m. Eastern, so you know it's it's still early days. We should know by next week if it was a work mm-hmm. or not. Um, so my question to you is: if this is not a work, if that was an actual injury, uh, and they do have to modify the pay per view main event to make it just uh, Swerve versus Samoa Joe, what do you think the finish should be under these circumstances? Samoa Joe wins, and then yeah. I'd have him drop the belt to Okada. Okay. That, that's that's what I would do. Uh, Interesting. Is that, I mean, we talked about the Okada thing last week. I think you bring him in and you strap him up, and you just you shoot him to the top because he is the biggest deal, and he's now in uh, a huge company in America. This company does not need their world champion to appear every single week, and we've made fun of WWE for their champion not appearing, but it's not like he doesn't appear every single week. He, there is stretches where he doesn't appear for like two months. Yeah. And to me, that that's a humongous difference at Jesse Collins wrote a fantastic piece for voice of wrestling earlier this week, talking about how AEW doesn't necessarily need a big star. Like they don't need like the rock or stone cold. One of the appeals of AEW is guys kind of cycle in and out and have their stories and go away for a short amount of time. They don't get overexposed, and it keeps the product fresh, and it keeps things engaging. And they have a lot of really good individuals on this roster. Well, you're going to get a big star. And it's okay if he doesn't appear on TV every single week. I'd strap up Okada. If, if, If we're going with the theory that the ankle's broken, what they should do if it stays the three way. Hangman needs to uh, screw over Swerve, pin him, and win the belt. I love the Samoa Joe title reign. I would love to see him hold it for like a year and a half. I just don't see how you have this as a three-way and don't have one of those two guys winning. Because it just it feels like it's a way to get the belt off of Samoa Joe while keeping him insanely strong. I think it's a really interesting situation because you could make the argument that, uh, you know, Swerve should win because he has been on the come up for, you know, over a year now uh, and is clearly in a position where he'd really benefit from a title win, uh, more so than I think Samojo holding the belt longer. Um, the counterpoint is that Samojo has been a fantastic champion, and I don't think you want to cut that off too early either. I do think it's a really interesting situation. And like you said, with Akata and Osprey coming in, that you know, there's a couple um, you know, options there that are intriguing as far as being world champions. But I also don't think that you need to necessarily put either immediately on the uh on the uh you know as the champs. Um so can, can I throw a theory at you? Yeah, sure, go for it. Okada wins the belt early. Mm-hmm. And then drops it to Osprey at All In. 
you could yeah i mean that would obviously be a, a great uh finish for that crowd and uh i think well received by pretty much everyone um I don't have a problem with that. I think that there's a lot of like correct solutions here. I don't think this is a case where they're like you have to do an obvious thing, you know, like Samojo mm-hmm. taking the belt off MJF when they did. Yeah. Uh, that that was obvious that they needed to do that then mm-hmm. uh, for let a multitude of reasons. Let me throw this by you too because we've been talking about this Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland thing for a long time, and they are trending towards a double turn. I don't mm-hmm. think they performed the double turn. I think they're already turned, but kind of, but not really. Like Swerve is getting, he's been getting massive reactions in buildings for a while, even when he's been a heel leaning guy. Like the Swerve's house thing, mm-hmm. it's incredibly over. And they've been leaning towards it. They haven't gone full force. And I feel like in this triple threat, sorry, three way WWE verbiage, somebody come over and slap me in the face. Uh, I feel like this is the spot to complete the double turn. And that's why I mentioned screwing over Swerve. Like like a nut shot and then you hit the buckshot or something like that. Or like a dead eye on a chair. Something kind of dirty and slimy to really push home the double turn. And then now you have Swerve chasing. Hangman finally gets the win over Swerve, which he hasn't been able to do. And you can kind of build off of that three-way. Uh, sorry, the that number one contenders match where Swerve couldn't beat Hangman within the time limit. And now you have a couple reasons for him to really want to chase, and then you can continue to build with that. Like, to me, it feels like this is the spot for the double turn. The, but the fascinating thing is, which is why I'm really excited for Revolution in 10 days, they could do anything almost anything and it would be fascinating to watch and it would be interesting because there is no concrete solution here yeah yeah there's a lot of different paths you can take and i think this is a really interesting time in AEW's history and it'll be kind of fascinating to see where things are in three or six months um you know I, again I'm, I'm operating under the presumption that this ankle injury for hangman is a is a work so he will be in that pay-per-view main event. But I do think that changes the calculus if you were to miss that match as to what the finish would be. I think it's easier in a three-way for uh, for Joe to walk out the champ. Uh, you can have them uh, kind of do something where he, um, you know, costs or there's some like Swerve and Hangman are too focused on one another and then Spojo walks out the champ uh, because of that. And I think that won't really affect either of them. I do think... I don't know if damaging is the right word, but I think it's more meaningful if Joe just beats Swerve straight up in a one-on-one, um, which is why they booked this this way, I think. Yeah. Regardless of how it turns out, we're going to be at the edge of our seats during that match of Revolution. Because one, yeah, I'm very excited for it. Oh, Samoa Joe in a high-profile main event against two phenomenal workers. It's just going to be an ass-kicking, and I can't wait. Let's go on to other news, though, because I think this is a very interesting piece. AEW has hired Jen Pepperman as VP of Content Development. If you've never heard the name, that's okay. Let's give you a little bit of background of why it's important. that She previously worked closely with Mercedes Monet in WWE. She also has a history of work in soap operas, including three daytime Emmys for Best Directing. Look, AEW doesn't have a traditional writing staff like WWE does, but having somebody in the room who can help create and cultivate storylines who has a, a background in creating and escalating drama 
I think is a really good thing. I also think it's good that she previously worked with Monet in a very close capacity and giving her a little bit of extra comfort as she's coming into the company is a net plus. Uh, TK uh, did say in a statement that she's specifically going to help with storyline development. So that tracks with her background. It, it to me feels like an interesting hire. She did work with WWE, I believe 2017 and through until 2023 was her, was her last year with the company. But having that background with like daytime soap operas, I think is a very, very interesting idea because soap operas, they like some of them, like all my children, general hospital, they've been around for 50 years mm-hmm. and they keep finding new things to do with their characters. Because these characters could sometimes be on TV for 20 or 30 years. It's not like a, a traditional like primetime show where like Grey's Anatomy, you've had characters cycle in and out over the last 20 years. No, characters don't last that long because you you lose steam and figure out creative things to do with them. So by having somebody from that world come in and who's been able to find creative things to do with somebody who's been there a long time, I think is a really interesting asset to the overall creative product. Look, it could also suck, but the background I think is fascinating to me. And with how AEW isn't a like a WWE style creative staff, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, I, I I saw a discussion online yesterday that uh, you know if uh, Monet can't just cut a good promo on her own, then she is not you know ever going to be good at cutting promos. So I think that's a, that's overly simplistic. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, she, I don't think she's a great promo by any stretch in general. Um, I think it's much more of a star presence thing um, with her. But I think that, um, you know, in the right situation, she could probably do okay. I think that if you've got a talent on your roster who's, you know, valuable in every other way except for one, and you can do, find a way to, you know, maximize their strengths and minimize the weakness, then you should do it. And if it involves hiring mercedes is a friend or co-worker that she likes or whatever the proper term is and using them to help her do better on uh talking segments then i'm all for it i think that's an obvious call yeah and sometimes it's good to bring somebody in just to get somebody especially a big star comfortable all right <clears throat> couple things uh here that we'll just kind of run through really quickly Jim Ross is out of his rehab facility after surgeries on his hip. His hip was broken, but that was not revealed until this week. His contract did expire on Valentine's Day, but he said he's talking uh, with TK about calling Sting's final match. Let me get your opinion on this, Fred, because I I find this one really interesting. Should JR call Sting's final match? Should it be Tony Schiavone? Should it just be the two of them? Who should be calling Sting's final match? Because... I'm going to be honest, a lot of the territory stuff as far as like who is is calling what at specific times is a big blur to me. I know Shivani called a lot of the Jim Crockett stuff Mm -hmm. in WCW starting what, like 89 or 90? Earlier than that, I think. Yeah. See, my timeline for that is kind of mush. Who should be calling Sting's final match if you want to go for that reverence angle? 
I, you know, I think that the proper move is to uh, have them both call it, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, Shivani started with Jim Crockett in 83, and of course, Ross was prior with uh, Mid-South and UWF, and then he joined uh, Jim Crockett in 87. So both of them were there for, like, the rise of Sting's career and everything. I think that, you know, they like to rotate people on the... Uh, on the pay-per-views on the announce table. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to have the announce table be, you know, Shivani, Ross, and let's say Excalibur probably, since he's always the guy that's, you know, practically always at the table. Um, I think that's probably your best three-man booth there for that sick cir- circumstance and situation, as I try to say the two words at the same time. Um, but, you know, they both have a fantastic connection to him, Ross and Shivani. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Ross... You know, I've I've warmed up a little bit on him as his duties have decreased. I think that's been to his benefit as a performer, as an announcer. Um, and I do think that um, between his connectionist thing and like his admiration for him and everything, and also the fact that he uh, this will be him coming back from his health issues, um, and I'm glad that he is doing well after all of them. Um, I think this is a, you know, I think we'll get a very motivated Jim Ross. It won't be like when he was being forced to do dynamite and pay-per-views, uh, like the entire pay-per-views. And it was obviously either getting tired or just uh, grumpy <laughs> on the call and actively hurting the show, I think, at points. Uh, I, I've actually rather enjoyed how Ross was being used before he started having these health issues. Um, and uh, I think he'll slide right into here and I think it'd be a perfect use for him. And I think Shivani's just solid, you know. I, I get a little annoyed with him on Saturdays when he, like, botches move names, but that's always been a Shivani weakness, and it's not that bad of a deal, you know. Yeah. As long as the match is called, well, I don't give a shit who calls it. So, <laughs> whatever works for Sting, just just make it about Sting. Yeah. Um, Ring of Honor Supercard has announced a show for April 5th at Philadelphia's uh, Leacorus Center. I, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I probably didn't, and correct me if I'm wrong there. Last year I don't drew, know. Last year they drew 4,500. Nothing on poster about a pay-per-view. We are only about six weeks out from the show, so mm-hmm. wouldn't shock me if they're done with pay-per-view, which I think would be an interesting decision to completely revert back to Honor Club if that ends up being the case. But going to be interesting to see what ends up happening here because it is a traditional show that is run on WrestleMania weekend. Tony Khan has talked about how he doesn't want to run on WrestleMania weekend, but this is Ring of Honor. It's always ran WrestleMania weekend for a long time. So I theoretically, should be a great show. I have no idea what will be on it, but should be good. Yeah. Um I do think that, uh, you know, they're obviously trying to juice Honor Club. They, I mean, if they were happy with how the uh, how they were going, they would not have uh, done this, you know. Um, so they obviously want more people to subscribe to Honor Club. And, you know, I just want to point out, like, I, I think this is only going to work so much because of the way that Ring of Honor works uh currently where there's you know like a couple storylines going on at any time but you know it's very much feels like a red and black edition of aw dark um in my opinion and you know just going through the last episode that aired last week um you know and i'm not saying that like a match has to be long 
to be good, but I do think it's indicative that if you go through this card, which was nine matches, um, the longest of them was under 11 minutes. And, you know, you can have a good 11-minute match. That's not my point. My point is that half the cards or half the matches on the card were six minutes or less. And several of them were, you know, like Brian Keith got a squash against Slice Boogie in under two minutes. And the Outrunners got a squash win um, and so on and so forth. I I just don't think you're really doing much when 50% or more of the the matches on the card are squashes and you know, like I, I'm not, I don't think you're going to get many eyeballs with that, but that's kind of been the problem with Ring of Honor since it started under a uh, con. So yeah. All right. <clears throat> More news here. And this one's a bad one. El Hio del Vikingo injured his knee on Saturday, September or sorry, February 17th. I, I believe it was a, it was, it was a Lucha show down in Mexico. I think was it Mas mm-hmm. Lucha. Um, that that part isn't isn't necessarily important, but it's a meniscus injury, and I know plenty about meniscus injuries. So there are two types of injuries. There is a bucket handle tear, where it just splits in in half, and there's multiple different types of minor tears, which can be scraped. Now, what that means is they basically take the damaged tissue and they scrape it off of the meniscus, or you can do a full repair, which is stitched up. The scrape is worse off for your long-term health, but you can return significantly quicker with the scrape than you can with the full repair. Uh, In the NFL, a scrape, you're out four to six weeks. A full repair, you're out three months. So it would be best, especially considering the King of Style, for him to get the full repair. We'll see what he ends up doing, but he might not be in a position where he can afford to be out for three months. So... All the best wishes to him in a speedy recovery, but it's uh, it's unfortunate. The king of rules, man. Yeah, uh, it is noteworthy that uh, they, you know, AAA has not even mentioned this on their social media yet, at least as of earlier this week. Are you surprised? No, I'm it's not. It's AAA. No, I just like an opportunity to bury AAA. Um, you know, please, please allow me the small gift. Uh, but yeah, um, also there was not a stretcher at the show. So another wrestler had to carry Vikingo to the back, um, which, uh, not great, but we'll keep an eye on it. Hopefully it's, uh, more on the minor side, but he's been getting banged up a lot over the past year or two and, uh, you know, working a lot and putting his body through a lot. He has a very aggressive performer. Um, you know, that's going to take a, a toll on him, I think. Yeah. Trent Beretta sent home from AEW TV this week due to his health. They made a point of it on TV that Beretta was not medically cleared to compete. So Orange Cassidy's like, all right, I'll wrestle. And he ended up taking the match against Mike Bennett. Queen Aminata is all elite. Just like Brian Keith and just like many before her, we thought this was coming. We felt it coming. Aminata's got something. Yeah, uh, still a little green as far as a wrestler, but the presence, the charisma, the understanding of situations, she's really good already. And I, do we know how old she is? Is, is she like 25? I she's think she's young. younger. Uh, she is quite young. Uh, let me see if it's on cage mats. Uh, it is not. Uh, but she debuted in 2017. So, so well... That could she could have debuted at seventeen. I mean, Billy Starks debuted at what fourteen or fifteen, 
and now mm-hmm. she's 19. Like, regardless, of, she's a, a talent that is going to be worth really investing and developing in. And with this women's division becoming stronger and stronger, you're going to feel less pressure to really focus a lot of television time on her and put her in positions she may not be ready for. And you can really continue to develop that talent. And I think that's really, really appealing. Yep. All right. Uh, while you continue to look up Queen Aminata's age, it's a mystery. I can't find it anywhere. No. Well, she's 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 a mystery. Uh, Fightful is reporting that Kyle Fletcher is unable to work in the U.S. due to visa issues. Now, Fletcher is Australian, uh, so visa issues happen sometimes with. with uh, those who have residency outside of the United States. It happened with Kenny Omega, uh, I think last year, or maybe it was two years ago, where he couldn't work a show because uh, there were some visa issues, but they got it cleared up pretty quickly. So hopefully that gets cleared up relatively soon. Uh, The Rocks Production Company, this is interesting, is working on developing a biopic on Ric Flair. This could get bad. And bad in the sense of, like, the 30 for 30 on Ric Flair was fun. It was entertaining. It gave you a glimpse into his personal life and the stuff he dealt with on the road and the stuff he did on the road. But, look, it's it, it was obviously from a very biased perspective, and it wasn't like a dark side of the ring where they just try, they try to really focus on what the truth is. So... This could get bad, and it could end up being like a Ric Flair propaganda piece. And I'll be honest, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, um, they're going to have a hard time trying to paper over some of his issues. Um, And, uh, you know, AEW is getting some backlash for using him with his history, um, and I think that's just going to be amplified. You know, it's a much bigger deal to try to do a... uh, feature film on him versus you know trying to use him as kind of a secondary character in a storyline as a favor to sting you know yeah I, look i get it with the rick flair thing but come on it's rick flair and sting that's fine it's like if it was anybody else if it was hulk hogan no it's rick flair i'm fine with it it like Ric Flair made Sting. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to the show. Uh, I, you know, I think it kind of does. You have thoughts. Into, I can tell. You have yeah, some, thoughts. Some, some opinions. <laughs> Speaking of Sting, uh, Kevin Nash said WWE won't let him attend Sting's final match today. I learned Kevin Nash was still on a veterans contract. Yeah, apparently, um, which is an odd contract and one I should look into further. Um, it's kind of weird to me. I don't know how much of this I truly believe uh versus it being like not actual contract contractual issue but more of a i don't want to get heat or something um or i've been asked to not go but i'm citing the contract as an excuse um i don't know it's kind of odd yeah well fred that's it for news yeah are you you excited to Talk about this show. Yeah, and let's talk about Dynamite. The show was good. Uh, yeah, I thought it the, was a very solid show. Um, I thought it was uh, it was more 
segment or promo or angle heavy, whatever term you like to use versus match quality. But I, there was one that uh, I, I considered five stars on briefly before deciding not to. So, yeah, let me say this. There's been a lot of criticism over the years about AEW not building up their pay-per-views. This pay-per-view has a phenomenal build. Yes, I agree. Everything I... has a purpose. Everything has backstory. Everything has momentum going into the pay-per-view. They had this pay-per-view all, nearly fully booked last week. And they'll probably add like, hey, these guys just don't have a match. Let's throw them on there and just give them 12 minutes and let them go kick ass. That'd be fun. But you had one match made this week, which was Christian versus Daniel Garcia for the TNT title because of the concerto to Chris, or, or Adam Copeland. He's going to be out for X amount of time, I'd guess a few weeks. Give him a mini vacation. Give Garcia the spotlight. But the Sting-Young Bucks match, the three-way for the world title, like you have so like uh, Deanna Perrazzo, Tony Storm. So many of these matches have already been made for quite a while. Weeks now, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's great. This pay-per-view has been built incredibly well. Next week is the heat check uh, because the pay-per-view is on Sunday, March 3rd. If you're outside of the United States, voiceofwrestling.com slash fight to order. Fred, this is exciting. Yeah, and th- I thought the show like you kind of mentioned it was very angle heavy. Uh, did a great job of continuing that build. Yeah, I thought that uh, a lot of good angles on the show that I thought really contributed to some storylines, uh, and I thought it heated up some. Uh, one in particular that we'll talk about when we get to it. Um, match quality outside of the opener, I love the opener, but outside of that, I thought the. Uh, Matches were, you know, very, you know, like the main event was pretty good and the rest was solid except for, you know, the Madison Rain match, which we'll also get to. But yeah, I thought I liked the show. I liked the show quite a bit. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the opening match. Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli and FTR go to a 20 minute draw with a pull apart. And then after commercial break, they did uh, they almost brawled backstage. Fred, this is great. This was I love this match. The exchange early on between John Moxley and Cash Wheeler, where they were just throwing forearms at each other. Cash had a couple forearms that popped me. They were just loud, and oh, it was great. Yeah, I thought this match ruled. I, uh, I, I really, I thought this was excellent. Um, the build of the time limit draw was perfect. I thought. Um, uh, they just worked really hard with each other. Um, no one, I, I like great effort from all four guys, as you would expect. Um, and I ended up giving this four and three quarter stars. Like I nearly dropped a five on it. Uh, I just thought it was tremendously intense and really well worked and exciting and uh, about as good as a, a tag match as you can reasonably expect to appear on TV. Yeah, exactly. This was. Awesome. I gave it four and a half plus. You can't ask for more from an opening match on a show. You can't ask more from a from a television match. We've gotten more. AEW's delivered more. But this was great. And it really set things up moving forward. And to me, I, I was very appreciative of that. They've done a really good job of making this feud 
feel interesting. It almost felt like this feud was just kind of thrown together, especially with the CMLL guys kind of cycling in. And obviously, they're going to do stuff at Arena Mexico, which you're going to see Brian Danielson and Blue Panther in the ring together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's going to be cool as hell. Yeah, uh, that'll be a really interesting match. Um, apparently, the uh, the uh, Mexican fans are kind of not sure why Blue Panther is in that match because he has definitely been relegated to lower in the card. Um, and, uh, you know, like this has just been a dream match for Brian Danielson for years now. Uh, so it's just interesting just to see that. Um, yeah. Let yeah. me... I need to pull up the results because I just watched the show this morning, but as you can tell, my eyes are a little droopy because I'm tired. This is this was where we got uh, the Orange Cassidy interview in the back saying, "Oh, I'm gonna wrestle if I'm cleared," and he's cleared. So there we go. And then right after that, we got Alex Marvez uh, interviewing FTR, and that's when we get the second pull apart. Then. Orange Cassidy does uh, face Mike Bennett. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this match, Fred? Fine. I thought it was pretty good. I went three and a half, or I'm sorry, three and a quarter on it. Um, the There's a bunch of high-impact moves that they did in a pretty short period of time. I thought that I had good intensity. Um, it just was short of me like thinking it was really a memorable match of, you know, even like a, hey, if you're a AEW diehard, make sure you check this out kind of level. But yeah, it was good, and I didn't, you know, I had no issue watching it. Yeah, I, I think I thought this was a good three and three quarter star match. I, I, re- I really thought this was fun. Uh, but then this was weird. Renee Paquette was backstage interview Angela Parker about his big date out tonight with Ruby Soho. What, what are we doing? <laughs> That's been a storyline they've been doing for a while now. I think mainly on Rampage, but. You know, I thought it was I thought it was a little, you know, a little smooth way to try get that worked in real quick on a show that was not about them very much and set something up for Rampage and then immediately transition to the bigger Ric Flair angle. Uh, kind of set that up. Uh no mention of Jake Hager in his home state, Tyler. Oh, yeah. Kind of a weird save, but once they explained everything, it made like super sense, I thought. But well, at first it was like, why the hell is Hager coming out? <laughs> Hager's in great shape. He, he is looks great good. Shape. He does. Um, I'm not like asking for like a bigger Hager push, but like you know, he's a he's a. I think he'll always be, or at least right now, for the short term future, will be a reasonable like. I'm the mid card tough guy that beating means a little more than most other mid carders. I'll be honest. I think we should get a bigger Hager push in this sense. The role he had with the Jericho Appreciation Society, I thought was perfect. And I think he should be involved in another push like that, where he's a guy, he's the muscle, and hey, you want to face me in X match, you got to beat Hager first. Like that's a perfect role for him, and I I would honestly like to see him do that just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think he he does well as a heavy in a stable. Yeah, heavy in a stable. That's that's a perfect role. So. Right at, after 
the Angel Parker inter- uh, interview with Ruby. Uh, then we get a shot of somebody coming out of a Suburban. At first, I thought it was the Young Bucks because of the shoes. Nope. Nature Boy Ric Flair. Uh, Rene Paquette interviewed him about Sting's upcoming retirement matches, and he said this. I'm disappointed. When I signed up for this, I thought I'd be a bigger part of the picture. I'm not upset with Sting. I'm just upset that I'm not more involved. I feel like I should be right in the middle of things, and I haven't been. So between you and me, I'm just going to explore some options. I'm not trying to put you in the middle, uh, Rene, t- telling Renee that. I'm just telling you the truth. And then he walks and starts talking to the Young Bucks. So I have to ask you this question, Fred. Is Sting going to be turned on by Ric Flair again? We're not doing phrasing here? Um yeah, I think this will be a. Uh, this is interesting. I I don't know if it'll be good for Sting to be turned on by Ric Flair, but I do think it'd be very funny uh, if if Flair turns uh, his back on Sting during an angle, um, uh, just because that's what happened for years and years, and that was like the defining thing of Sting's career is that he got stabbed in the back over and over by uh, Ric Flair. Uh, I do think an inversion here where he, where Ric Flair positions himself like an ally of the Young Bucks only to stab them in the backs, uh, that could work too. Um, that would be a kind of, and then you get Flair celebrating with Sting after it's all over, but Flair may just want to, you know, sell for Sting and make him look good. So that's the other way they could go. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I don't know how much Ric Flair I won on my TV in 2024, you know, to be honest. Uh, but I thought this was, uh, this was at least interesting. So if we're going to have Ric Flair on our TVs in the year 2024, I'm fine with being involved with sting. Yeah. Because that makes sense. That's yes. got a near 40 year history. I'm okay with that. Anything else? Yeah. I'm with you. I leave Ric Flair in the past. But for right now, I think his inclusion is good. Yeah, and I think we've seen like over the years that the Flair is not a guy that can really act as a manager and get someone over. He's not able to do that reliably. Um, so, you know, then becomes a, uh, well, what do you do with him, you know? And uh, I think once you get outside the Sting storyline, that it's going to be tough to find a spot for Ric Flair on your roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Daniel Garcia. This was the first of three tremendous, tremendous promo segments. And Tony said after what happened to Copeland last week, he's on the shelf and unable to compete. So Daniel Garcia gets a shot at the TNT title against Christian Cage. Fan chant, you deserve it. And he just delivers a tremendous promo, talking about those three seconds in the Continental Classic and how when he was starting to lose confidence, they really changed things for him. And he, he just baby faces himself uh, big time. And then Christian Cage comes out. And th- th- this was just phenomenal. I, I'm going to read it verbatim. We both know why the way you are, don't we, Daniel? I know something that these people don't know. That you had a pretty dark childhood, didn't you, Daniel? You didn't have so many happy memories, did you? Do you know a Jackie Garcia that lives in Buffalo, New York? And can you confirm to me that Jackie was married to David Garcia? And I understand that David Garcia is your father. And your father is dead. Jeez, does, does anybody in all elite wrestling have a father that's alive? 
it's yeah, it's, he can, it's amazing he can keep doing this. Yeah, um, just uh, a lot of orphans. Uh, AEW, the home for wayward children. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I thought Dan Garcia cut a great babyface promo, uh, arguably the best of his career to date. Um, Christian, um, of course, is just excellent in this role and excellent at, at these heel promos. Um, one thing I am actually slightly worried about, um, I think maybe at some point you do turn Daddy Magic or just separate them uh, once he's no longer really beneficial to Daniel Garcia. I think it's too soon to do that. I don't think he's... Uh, I think there's more he can do for Daniel Garcia to help him out. Uh, it's, it's a rare case of a manager benefiting a baby face. You don't see a whole lot of that in uh, wrestling. Uh, I, I just hope that it, this is not a case where he gets frustrated after like he loses to Christian and turns on Daniel Garcia. I think that would be the wrong time. Yeah. I'm I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens here. I think you could make a real argument that Garcia should win this, but it also doesn't make sense with the longer story that they're telling with Adam Copeland. They could so, do a short reign if Copeland's going to be gone for a couple months. You know, they, yeah. they could do that. So, Yeah, just do a, a, a quick swap. I and mean, then Christian the T- gets it back. Yeah, the TNT title has done a lot of open challenge stuff, so you could do it. Yeah, you got um, options. Yeah, and then make Christian the three-time TNT champion, the only three-time TNT champion. Yes. Uh, right after this, we Is had that right? Was Cody not a three-time or Darby? I think Cody was a two-time because I think maybe Cody was three-time because he did drop it to he dropped it to Brody Lee. Mm-hmm. And then got it back from Brody Lee. Mm-hmm. He dropped it to Darby. And then he got it back from Sammy Guevara. So that's a three-timer. Okay, so... Sam, Sammy Guevara is a three-timer. And Wardlow, somehow, shockingly, is a three-time champion. Well, fuck me. I'm wrong. Uh, let's <laughs> move bricks. on before... Uh, yeah, before I have to hit the bricks for good. Uh, time of Tony Storm versus Sidney Winnell. Uh, mm-hmm. and timeless Tony kind of beats the crap out of her. And then yeah, it's just a squash, you know? Yeah. Well, her. I think it's important that they established that she could win with submission here they did. because first she had the ankle lock and then she hit the Venus to Milo and won via submission. And then in, right after the match, she's going to the back and Deanna Praza's music hits. And then they cross paths on the apron. I thought the transition was great. And then Deanna Perrazzo versus Madison Rain. And Madison Rain tried to kill herself. Gotcha. Yeah, it looked like her neck snapped in half. (laughs) To my knowledge, I think she's okay. But it looked real bad. Uh, She landed right on her doom. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It it was probably supposed to be like a snap exploder, which Perrazzo does pretty regularly. Yeah. According to our man in the field, uh, Garrett Kidney, um, host of "You've Got to Be Kidding Me" here on this podcast network, yes. TNA Rewatch. Um, I think that was Garrett. I apologize if I messed that up. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was supposed to be like just a flatliner, and uh, ooh, buddy, that was. Uh, but she was supposed to flip, but she didn't flip all the way, and I just hope she's okay. I'm shocked that they. I mean, granted, they went right to an ankle lock, so it's not like they really move her much or anything i'm shocked that they didn't just stop the match there to some extent you know she probably signaled she was okay and you know all right Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but that was a scary ass bump. Um, it was kind of reminiscent of um, Willie Mack doing that standing moonsault a few weeks ago and landing on his head. Um, flips are hard, I guess. Uh, hopefully she's okay. Uh, I will say that I thought before this that she was not good. Um, there was, a, a, you know, exactly, especially right before the uh, the bump, uh, she was doing some, you know, like a counter sequence with Kiana and uh, to my eyes, you know, I'm not like an expert, you know, at like what's really going on in the ring. You know, I, I couldn't train anyone or anything like that. Uh, but it really did look like that rain was uh, moving in slow motion on those sequences. And I thought that she, it was a rough performance I thought from her, but um, Mad- Madison rain, like th- there's, there's a line from, School of Rock. Mm-hmm. Those who can't do teach, and those who can't teach teach gym. And I think Madison Rain may want to get out of the ring uh, and just focus on teaching, because yeah. just because you can't do anymore doesn't mean you can't teach. I c- I could teach how to do a round off back handspring. I can't do a cartwheel. Yeah, I can tell coach you through it. Like fun fact, Fred. I don't know if I told you this. I used to, I did some gymnastics coaching. Oh, really? When I was younger. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they needed somebody just to hang out with the kids and help out the actual coach, and then I just kind of learned things, and then I had my own class on Saturday mornings. Look at you. I know. You and, you and Brian Alvarez. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I will I, say this is an early contender for worst match of the year for me. Um, I went a half star on it, and that may have been generous. Um, I, I, look, they gave effort, so – Real effort. I don't. I don't really go less than two stars. It wasn't good, but it. They tried really hard, so I'm not going to go lower than that. I'm to me, two stars effort. isn't two stars isn't good. Yeah, Everybody for me that's average. For you, that's that's below average. Um, yeah. I, I will say, like, I'm not knocking their effort or anything, and you know, I'm sure Madison Rain is a lovely person, and you know, I, I ripped on her when she got kind of her push when she first came in, and I'm ripping on her here. I, I'm not trying to like you know, knock her as a person or anything, but I just don't think that she's a, a great in-ring performer, at least in 2024. I can't say that I watched mm-hmm. a lot of her earlier TNA stuff, but she was, you know, she was fine in the knockouts yeah. division back in the day. I think, she, I think it's just kind of a case of like, you know, she, the, the game has evolved and I don't know that she can really keep up in the ring. That doesn't mean she can't be a good coach though, but mm-hmm. I just kind of don't think she should really be a on dynamite. You know. Those who can do teach, and I think that's where we're at with Madison Rain. It's it's just time, but I, I'm guessing based on the role she was hired for, which was backstage. I will say I like that they kind of did this match because there is history with Diana and Rain. Uh, I I think that is an interesting element to just kind of utilize with this whole storyline. But it's it's time for to keep Madison Rain out of the ring. It just that's just the way it is. Um, you're gonna have to walk us through this because I watched Dynamite yesterday while I was recording another podcast, so I had to watch most of it on mute because sure I work like an absolute sicko. You walk do. us through, yeah, I, I, it's it's really a problem. Um, yeah. Walk us through this Sting promo, which according to everybody else was fan. Fantastic. Yeah, I thought this was really good. And do you want me to do the Wardlow one too after? I, I forget if you got to that one. Yeah, right. because I didn't watch that. Sure. I, I watched it. I didn't listen to it. By the delivery, it looked fantastic. 
Wardlow was yeah. really into it. He was getting impassioned, and the crowd seemed to be reacting. But that was on mute, so I didn't hear any of the words. Uh, all right, so Darby and Sting. They um, this was a pre-tape promo uh, where you know started with Darby showing off a photo of Sting with his kids when Sting was back in WCW with uh, the Wolfpack face paint. Um, and Darby talks a little bit and, you know, says, you know, a lot happens in life basically, but in the end, all that matters is family. Uh, and then Sting said, no one's ever messed with my flesh and blood until you bucks. Um, and he got very emotional. He brought up how his father had passed away a week ago, uh, and how that makes, uh, Sting think about his own mortality. And, you know, he used to think he was so invincible, but he does say that everything he has in him, he's bringing to revolution and uh, you ha- and he tells the Bucks that they have a fight on their hands, which is going to be the fight of their life. Uh, this was really well delivered. Um, you know, I, Darby ain't a gr- great promo. I thought he did well here. I thought he did okay last week. Um, so, you know, like Darby, you know, is a guy that's got everything about the promo. He's like, you know, kind of comparable to Mercedes Monet, you know, in that sense. Um, Sting, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, I watched him in the 90s because I am old now. Um but, you know, Sting was uh, definitely considered not a prime talker to the point that they did a whole ass year long storyline where Sting did not talk. You know, he just hung out in the rafters for a whole year. Um, and uh, before that, he cut very generic babyface promos as Surfer Sting. And then, you know, as he went on in his career, he became a better and better promo. And uh, I thought this was a nice example of how Sting is a good promo. Uh, I thought this was a really well thought out segment. I think that was really important, but I thought Sting in particular did a great job delivering his stuff. And uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is one of the highlights in the show. Definitely worth seeking out. Tyler, <laughs> I will be seeking it out. Uh, I know. I'm just just kidding. Um, next up is the Wardlow segment, so um, we'll, I'll go through that too. Uh, I thought this was even better than the Sting promo, and I like that Sting promo a lot. I thought this was um, arguably, and yeah, I kinda, I'm kind of vacillating on this versus the Daniel Garcia-Christian Cage segment, but I thought this uh, may have been the best segment of the show outside of the opening match. Um, and I'm saying this as a guy that like has openly opined about like maybe they should just give up on Wardlow. I just don't know if it's going to work out. Uh, Wardlow nothing but uh, praise for him. He delivered a hell of a promo here. And uh, if this is what he can do, he needs to be doing it every week (laughs) because you get a guy like this. Like I, again, I I don't know if he could be like a tippy top guy, but this is like, this is a promo from a star. I thought this was really good. Uh, And I'd like to see more of this from him. Um, I think there's a bigger conversation about, you know, the, the undisputed kingdom and where they fit into AEW right now, because I feel like for weeks they've just been kind of mid-card geeks, uh, in large part because Adam Cole can't do anything, and Wardlow has just been doing the same squash stuff he's been doing for years now. Um, but I think like this was this could very easily, if they don't screw it up again with Wardlow, which you know they kind of like to do, uh, and Wardlow isn't exactly innocent in that. You know, sometimes his performances are lackluster as far as being like a well-rounded star. Uh, but I thought this was great. Uh, so he comes out, uh, tells Tony Schiavone, get the hell out of the ring, basically, before he knocks him down um, again. Um, and so he, he starts kind of this promo about how, you know, let's look at the last few champions. You've got uh, the best in the world. 
I beat his ass. You've got um, some guy who thinks he's better than you, and you know it. I beat his ass. And I've got a wrestling god, and uh, I beat his ass too. And I beat these guys like no one else ever did. Um, he there's you know he said he was the one true homegrown AEW original that should have been the champ uh, a long time ago. But people, uh, but somehow I never received that opportunity. People backstage need to be fired and thrown in jail for that. Uh, pro incarceration, Wardlow here. Um, and then he also throws in a little jab at Samoa Joe when he's talking about him. He said, shiny titles and nice suits look a hell of a lot better on me, which was a great line. Um, he then says that he sounds like I'm the best in the world, better than you and you know it, and that I'm the most dangerous man in the room. I'm the uncrowned king of AEW, and it's time I start eating like one because I've been starving and I'm done being fed scraps. Uh, look at me, I'm everything world champion is supposed to be. No one back there is bigger, stronger, or faster than me, and this is no longer wrestling, this is war. I thought this, yeah, he knocked it out of the park. This is ex- great work from him, uh, much better than I would have ever guessed in a million years. Uh, if you told me Wardlow was just going to cut a five-minute promo on Dynamite, I would not have expected it to be this good. Um if we get more of this, I think he's definitely a guy you can push. And then afterwards, they mentioned that he is going to be in a match on Revolution called Meat Madness. So I guess they're going to get all the beefy guys out there and just going to be uh, the Big E Invitational. Because um, they, they, in a later segment, teased that uh, Will Hobbs was going to be in that match as well. But yeah, I love the segment. Uh, another one, definitely worth your time. Did you really just say Meat Madness? Meat Madness. That is what they said on the broadcast multiple times. Um, the meat, Be you still know, my heart. Yeah. I, I do think it's a little maybe too much, right? Because uh, I thought that the, the meat chants were um, you know, kind of funny back when they did it during the uh, Miro and whoever. I forget who he was facing now on pay-per-view last year, but I love that match. Um, but... Yeah, um, I, I don't know that I love the name, but I will say that the match will be uh, probably really damn good. So. Meet Madness. <laughs> I'm in. I'm all in. That sounds awesome. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited for that. <clears throat> the Bang Bang Scissor Gang were backstage. Look, I think they're just elongating this. Was not- this was not Wardlow, and this was not Daniel Garcia, and this was not Sting. <laughs> no. Um, Excalibur announced with a, a small video package that Will Ospreay uh, will be on Dynamite next Wednesday night, and he will also be at All In, which yep. was pretty much known to everybody who has common sense. But uh, smart for them to announce it because, hey, you know what? Maybe knowing for sure he's going to be there is going to sell like maybe a thousand tickets or something. So yeah, that should help. Uh, it'll pay attention to wrestle ticks over the next few days. That'll be Renee, interesting. Yep. Uh, real quick, I will say that they they're definitely teasing the breakup of the Bang Bang Scissor Gang already. Uh, I mean, I, I don't expect it in the next week or two, but I, I think that they're starting to show that these guys can't exist. Um, and frankly, I feel like it's another. Storyline that the acclaimed in particular are just spinning their wheels in, which has yeah. felt like the past two or three years now at this point, which I know hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been that long. Um, so this has not been the breath of fresh air I think any of these guys really needed. All right. And then Renee Paquette was backstage with the Don Callis family. 
Renee asked on how uh, Will Ospreay versus Konosuke Takeshi will benefit the Callis family. He says, because win or lose, the two best road pro wrestlers will still be a part of the Don Callis family. He said he's on his way to the UK in a private jet to pick up Osprey. Callis said the powerhouse Hobbs is going to do damage in Meat Madness at Revolution. And he said that the Don Callis family and Sammy Guevara have a score to settle at Rampage. So I, I don't know if that match was made official or what the match is, but something to watch on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And the main event, Samoa Joe scores the win for Samoa Joe, the machine Brian Cage and Swerve Strickland over Hook, Hangman Page, and Rob Van Dam by choking out Rob Van Dam with Coquina Clutch. I'm going to be honest, Fred. This sucked. Really? I thought this was fun. It felt really disjointed. It felt like these guys had no chemistry together whatsoever. It felt like the match got put together five minutes beforehand, and every everybody was just thinking. And in my world of football, if you think, you lose. You can't think on the football field. You have to have that knowledge already built in, and you have to be able to react quickly. Recognize and react. And it felt like these guys were just doing a lot of thinking in the ring and not being able to do enough reacting. It, it, to me, it just felt disjointed. RVD had troubles getting onto the top rope. Yeah, uh, just little, like a slip yeah. once or twice. It, I mean, that but wasn't he, bad. Here's the thing. It was all little things. Nothing was egregious. It was all little stuff. And little stuff here, little stuff there. And then it compiled, and it was just a ton of little stuff. And that's why, to me, eh. I, I'll, Gentlemen's I'll three. The, the effort was good. It just didn't work. We need to talk about your your star scale if you're saying this match sucked and then giving it a three. No, no, um, I said gentlemen's three. The effort was good. I can't Still. knock it that much. It just, everything was just off. Look, Tommy Wiseau tried hard in the room. Doesn't mean it's a two or three star movie, man. Hey, uh, the room is a classic. Not, not in a good way. Uh, listen, um, I thought that Rob Van Dam actually acquitted himself decently here. Like, you're not going to get a great Rob Van Dam performance in 2024, really, because he's, uh, you know, he's he's old, you know, unfortunately. I can still say that. i got a few years left of saying Rob Van Dam is old, thank God. Uh, at some point, maybe I'll make it to his age, and then I'll just be old, too. Uh, but listen, this guy, uh, he had a nice performance, I thought. It looked pretty decent. He slipped on the ropes when he tried to hop up there once or twice, but he's 53 years old. I'm not going to rip on him for that. What I did think was a little disappointing was Hook's performance in this match. I thought he looked off. Uh, I actually thought he came off quite well back in the Samoa Joe singles match a few weeks ago that made have been at that Dynamite, where I thought that he looked very good. Here, I thought he looked awkward. Uh, I thought his offense looked off, uh, just kind of off kilter. Um, I thought that his, uh, I think his selling to the point that it may have, uh, you know, kind of made Joe like delay a spot or two, which isn't bad inherently. But I, I, the other, the offense is really what I'm concerned about here. And I thought that at some points, Hook did not look as good as he has previously and looked rough. Guys Young doesn't have a lot of experience in the ring. I can't rip on that too much, but I do think it's something that concerned me in this match. Now, I will say that in general, I liked this match. I thought it was fun. I didn't think it was like a classic by any stretch. It doesn't, it's not in the same arena as that opener, let's be clear. But I thought that the work of Paige, Swerve, and Joe uh, in particular, um, 
was very good. I thought they uh, those three stepped up. Brian Cage had himself a solid night. Uh, he gets knocked for you know doing big spots and uh, not maybe the connected tissue isn't so great in between. But frankly, when you're in a six man tag, you can get away with just doing big spots. Uh, I thought Swerve looked good. I thought Page did a great job as a heel. Plus, if that is a worked ankle injury, then he did a hell of a sell job, uh, a high level one. And Samoa Joe is just perfect as Samoa Joe. Uh, so I thought, you know, this was more good than not. Uh, and I went three and a half on it as a result. So hold on, hold on. Yeah. You're what? giving me what? crap because you go three and a half and I go gentlemen's three. No, I'm, I'm giving you crap because you said this match sucked and then you gave it three stars. That's no, what no, I'm giving they, you crap over. Do you know what a gentleman's three is? I understand that it's like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really that good, but the effort was there. I, I'm just saying that if you thought the match sucked, your star rating should reflect that it sucked. It should be a below average star rating for you. The effort was good. It, it, ju- it was just completely disjointed and there was no chemistry. Madison Ray tried gonna... real hard and she like, dropped herself yeah. on her head. And I gave that two stars, but I, I thought that it was a lot messier than that, which is why I gave it that low of a rating. I just got a text from... Uh... I just got a text from a Natalie Merchant, and she said, you're kind and generous. I am. I really am. Um, look, I have uh, no idea who that joke's for. Yeah. Um, I'm a very optimistic guy. Like That's, hey, that's good. I, <laughs> I just think you've got to be a realist about your ratings a little bit. I'm saying this as a guy that rates high, so, you know, I, 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 I don't have much of a ledge to stand on here. I think it's fun to talk about, like, the theory behind star ratings a little bit, though. My theory is that you suck, Fred. Well... That's not a theory. That's law. We've, <laughs> we've done enough testing to prove that scientifically. That That's probably true. A- did you anyway, catch Rampage this week? Because I did not. No, I didn't. Um, I think I, I was at the movies instead. I was trying to catch yeah, it live, nice but then the wife came home, and the wife really uh, the wife. hates wrestling. So um, I didn't, but I heard it was good. Yeah, I didn't get to catch it either. This is a very busy month for me professionally, so, you know, I'm just kind of going to have to catch up on Rampage here at some point. But, um, yeah, let me uh, pull that up on the old uh, Cage match. And then I'll... It it got a 7.03, which for a Rampage, that's a good rating. Um, And a Jeff Hardy match got over a 7 with Sammy Guevara, which is shocking. Of course, that was the one where everyone freaked out because they thought Guevara cussed Jeff Hardy, but they didn't. Um, I did at least see the end of that match. Look, sometimes when you do a shooting star press, you yeah, you, you cockeye that rotation. It's a dangerous how, move. Yeah, because of how you have to torque your body. Uh, I remember Billy Kidman. Yeah, we I talked about this last week, I think. Yeah, yeah but yeah, Kidman it's, getting it banned for years. It's fine. Despite like, Paul, I remember the story was that Paul Lennon was like, but I do it better than Kidman. <laughs> More accurate. And they were like, it's banned. <laughs> so... Just do kind it. of a funny story. Um, also, uh, people fairly like the Anna J Queen Aminata match that got a six point three four, um, which hey, uh, for like a rampage women's match where you probably only got like ten minutes, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right. I think that's our show, Fred. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, I, but before we'll, we start fighting more about star ratings, yeah, I, I, we can do that more if you want. I mean, I'm going to get lunch at some point, but you know, I think it's fun to discuss. Um, I do think uh, I got opinions. They're dumb, but they're opinions. So, the, the one tough part about star ratings is 
it's vibes based. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it's incredibly subjective. And like when you look at like UFC, and you have three judges, and you have so many different styles and ways to win and compete in a UFC octagon, it's difficult to have anything concrete as far as it has to look like this. Mm-hmm. And I think the same holds true with star ratings because yeah. like you have preferences and stuff. And if it's a five-star match, there's just a feeling. Yeah. There's just, I know that this is a five-star match because of X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's a vibe. It's not just the work. It's how you feel, how everything just worked for the crowd. It's amazing how much it's vibes based and how much it's opinions based. Plus when you, when you think about it, my opinions on wrestling are different from your opinions mm-hmm. are different yeah. from people who love Joshi, different from people who love shoot style, different people of pure resu, different from people who love WWE, different from people who love like just meat slapping meat. Like, it, it's so subjective, which is why I love stuff like the voice of wrestling match of the year pool because yeah. it takes opinions from all of those people and puts them into one pile be like hey people from all across the world <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i keep getting gunk in my throat and i feel you on that and all different backgrounds and all different likes of professional wrestling come together and vote on the best matches and yeah. i think that's what makes it cool but there really is no perfect method. It's being genuine, being yes. real, being consistent. So, yeah, consistent with what your ratings are. I, yeah. I, I've given matches five stars that I, sorry, not five stars, but like four and a half, four and three quarters that I didn't really like. But I just like, hey, that work was really, really good, and I can't knock it. It's yeah. I have to put, give it a really high rating because the work was great. Yeah, there's someone in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, and I'm forgetting their name right now, but they'll like say that they really like the match, and they'd give it three and three-quarter stars because that's how their scale works. And, uh, um, you know, I think that as long as you're consistent, that's fine. Um, I think that the funniest people are the ones who get mad at uh, Dave's ratings for matches, saying that they're subjective, and it's like, yes, that is that is how star ratings work for anything. It's not like he's got a grading rubric and, you know, it's like drop kick plus one point, you know? Yeah. It's subjective. And subjectively, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast aggregator you choose to use. It would um, make us very happy. And Fred may stop yelling at me about my star ratings if you give us a five star review. So no, no, even even that isn't strong enough. But you know, no. Hey, we we would appreciate it. So yes, thank please. you guys very much for listening to the latest episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungry. Next week we will be back with the Heat Check, talking about Revolution and previewing what could be one of the best shows AEW has ever done, at least on paper. From Fred, I'm Tyler. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Hello. Do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? 
If so, check out the Super J Cast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super J Cast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super J Cast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography.